0: Today, Mike at the Mic will examine relationships after a brain injury, with the assistance of you, our audience, because we can't get along without you guys.
1: Welcome to the New Jersey Traumatic Brain Injury System Consumer Conference for Persons with Brain Injury, Moving Forward, Improving Emotional, Physical, and Cognitive Health for Brain Injury, a panel presentation, Mike at the Mic, Relationships and TBI. This panel was moderated by Michael Greenwald from the Council for the Head Injury Community. This one-day conference provided individuals with brain injury, their caregivers, family and friends, and healthcare professionals with information and insight into the strategies to successfully manage a range of challenges that affect overall health, wellness, and quality of life. The conference was hosted by the Northern New Jersey Traumatic Brain Injury System, a collaborative effort of Kessler Foundation, Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, and Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey. The Northern New Jersey Traumatic Brain Injury System is funded by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institute of Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research, grant number H133A120030. This podcast was recorded, produced, and edited by Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation, on Friday, September 27, 2019, at the Hotel Westminster, 550 West Mount Pleasant Ave, Livingston, New Jersey. To listen to more conference podcasts, click on the link in the program notes for the playlist.
2: Michael is the co-creator of Mike at the Mic. Mike a panel discussion of topics related to brain injury that has become Chick's signature event at the Alliance's annual seminar. Can we please welcome Michael Greenwald? So today he's brought with him three panelists. His first panelist is Richard Anderson. Richard sustained a traumatic brain injury in 2004 when he was struck by a drunk driver while on vacation with his family. In addition to losing his sense of taste and smell, he has lingering short-term memory deficits and he struggles to find the right words to express his thoughts and emotions. Despite these challenges, he is committed to increasing the awareness of TBI and advocating on behalf of the TBI community. He serves on BIANJ's Board of Trustees and is a member of Kessler Foundation's TBI Consumer Advisory Board. Richard and his wife, Rose, are also active members of CHIC. Please welcome Richard Anderson.
3: Oh, the pocket's closed, so. Next we have our panelist, hey, Scott
2: Poman. Scott sustained a TBI when he suffered a fall at home shortly after his 40th birthday. After years of therapy, coupled with determination and the support of BIA and J, he now lives on his own in an accessible apartment in Somerville, New Jersey. He joined Chick and volunteered for Mike at the Mike with the goal of using his experience to advocate for and learn from others who are navigating the world of brain injury. He enjoys playing guitar and writing about baseball and recently started practicing yoga. Please welcome Scott. And our last panelist this afternoon is Tom Grady. Tom has served as the Director of Advocacy and Public Affairs for BIANJ since 2002. During this time, he has been a liaison to Chick and has developed many relationships with people impacted by brain injury. However, his connection to brain injury started in 1981 when he sustained and survived a ruptured anterior venous malformation, or AVM. Given both his professional and personal experience with brain injury, Tom is uniquely qualified to serve as a Mike and the Mike panelist please welcome Tom and at this time I'm going to turn it over to Mike Greenwald thank you so much
0: thank you so much Um, we had introductions to each of our members but I believe the introductions were just done so what I'd like to do is give you an introduction to our program and then I'd like to go right into our questions so I'm going to be talking today about our topic. The dictionary defines the word relationship as an emotional or other connection existing between people. In this definition, the dictionary uses the term connection, but it ignores the fact that this connection can be hugely affected by a brain injury. Today, Mike at the Mic will examine relationships after a brain injury, with the assistance of you, our audience, because we can't get along without you guys. Uh, the following members of our distinguished panel from Chick were already mentioned and introduced. On the left, Richard Anderson. In the middle, Scott Poman. And on the right, the person who Chick does not exist without, Tom Grady. Now, I'm gonna start off by asking a question myself, but that better be the last question that comes from me. All the rest of the questions, remember the topic. Topic is relationships. Um, Rich. Yes? In a relationship after a brain injury, who loses the most, the survivor, or the significant other? Um,
3: I truly believe the caregiver loses the most. Um, I repetitively said that because I have strong feelings about it. And the reason is because I got used to myself being different and I get ac- accepted with difficulty but, but that's on my side. The, the problem is the caregiver, especially with the time that elapsed since my incident happened 15 years ago, the years that pass, and I have a long history when I got hurt, I was 47, and I was married over 20 years at that point. And, and so there's a lot of history with the old caregiver that the caregiver has for you. And the early years, the empathy is very strong. But time passes, fortunately or unfortunately, a lot goes by fast. And, and because there's a long history of her, my wife having a resemb- uh, memory of me in the old way, her default system goes back to what I used to be. And so it's hard for, for the caregiver to accept a new guy or, like I've accepted and they get more frustrated with me, with my personality or my behavior being somewhat more permanently different because that's the problem that I blame the caregiver having more trouble
0: than I do. So I hope I explained that well. Would anyone else on the panel like to comment on that?
4: Um, If I I can add a couple of words there um, because Richard's had a lot more experience with this than I have and hopefully someday, God willing, I will have as much experience as he does, but in my, I, I've, I've, my TBI was a little over two years ago. Um, and before that, my niece who was then five years old had an acquired brain injury. And while she went through, I mean, it's unfathomable the things she had to relearn as a five-year-old, but at, from from a, from a, from an emotional standpoint, I think it was, it was harder on the caregivers in the sense that ignorance is bliss because she never quite, you know, grasped just how dramatically she changed, we did. However, in my case, I fully understood when I first had my brain injury, because I was living on the other side of the country, and I understood how much I had changed, but my family didn't. So initially it was harder for me because they kind of, you know, they, they, they saw Scott, they just saw who I was, and it took them a while to really see, you know, how much help I needed. And at that point, their, the challenge for them spiked up, so it's really about how, how aware they are of how much it's changed that made it so painful. So, um, so in conclusion, I think it's harder on the caregiver when they see someone is suffering. But once the, once the person, like for me, I've moved on with my life, I've been able to build a life, and it's not as hard for them, but it's hard for me to remind myself that I need to keep going in my new self. And um, so it kind of fluctuates depending on the situation, but it's challenging for everyone um, in one way or another. So... That's, that's my experience.
3: Well said.
0: Audience, please feel free to, to jump in and ask a question regarding this. Otherwise, I have another question that I will ask, but you don't want me to ask too many. Let's see. Um, Tom, this has to do with communication. How is communication of feelings so very important for all those who are part of a relationship?
5: I think from the, uh, the, per- the perspective of a professional and dealing with a lot of people impacted by brain injury, I <clears> think <throat> communication is extremely important because you have to really empathize with the person as best as you can. You know, a lot of times you really can't do it fully, but having been through the experience of having arteriovenous malformation and getting through that, I'm also a person with a unruptured brain aneurysm. Luckily, doctors don't think it's going to be a problem down the road, but you never can tell. But I think having that unique perspective does give a sense of empathy to deal with anybody who's being impacted by, by brain injury. So brain injury has been both a professional and a personal interest of mine. And how I got to the Alliance way back when was not, uh, it was coincidental. I thought I was applying to a different position, different organization, BIANJ, Business Industry Association in New Jersey. You know, so when I got a call from BIANJ, our BIANJ had to be assigned that I was destined to use empathy, i.e. communication, to help benefit this particular community.
0: So communication was extremely important in this too.
5: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I think yeah, empathy is a part of communication. And I think you have to have uh, empathy in the general disability field, but especially in this particular uh, area of brain injury, no question about it, in my mind.
0: The question I'm going to ask now, since I don't see any hands up, although I find it difficult to see anything, if you have a question, please raise your hand and somebody with one of the mics can run around and get a question from you.
6: Have you found that, that with a caregiver, in my case, my wife, the, 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 the big problem has been jealousy? Because I was the one getting all the uh, 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 help and, and sympathy, and not sympathy, but, but all the uh, 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 professional help and everything dealing with this. When she had this thing, because we've been together for so many years, she felt that she should be taking care of me and she can fix me. And that jealousy comes in where I'm going to Kessler for uh, therapy, your know, cognitive, and, and all of these things, and she's at home, but she thinks that she could do it. And it's the jealous part of it is like, well, you're relying on everybody else. I've been with you all of these years. Has that manifest itself in any of your experiences? Um.
3: The word jealousy, I wouldn't define that as being appropriate for my caregiver to have for me. Um, Earlier this morning, there was a girl who made a reference to missing what she had in the old and whole life with her uh, person that she loved and was injured. And I think synonymous with the word jealousy, I think that's the word that my caregiver, your, 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 your caregiver has a lot of res- maybe resentment. It's a strong word too. But the missing of something is what they struggle with. And, and it's unfortunate because they want what they used to have. And, and it's unf- it's not, life ain't fair. It's, it can
6: be, but it can be unfair. When I say about jealousy, what I mean is the fact that, that she believed that she could understand and do these things for me. And she was jealous of the professionals at Kessler uh-huh. to some extent. I Not see. of me, but because of the situation where she felt it was her duty and her right to take care of me. But she couldn't do it. And it got pretty
3: yeah, tense Yeah, I can see the point that the caregiver, the, your your therapeutic side of the world, is she's she's jealous that she's not the one to be attributed as being characterized as that one. She's not that one. But it's maybe it's your job, or in a therapeutic sense, for you to reinforce to them to your caregiver that they are just as supportive and important as the therapeutic professional as, 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 her, as, as she is. And, and they need the pat on the back. They need the kiss on the face. They need something that's going to make. Uh-huh. I'm sorry you know, with that frustration. And I have faith that they'll be healed more with time. I
4: I think that um, one of the things, based on what what you're saying, it's almost like, I'm sure your wife, you know, you've been together for 35 years, my goodness, I mean, the two of you are almost like one entity, so she probably, it's almost incomprehensible that there's something going on with you that she just can't see, she can't touch, and she wants to, but, you know, it's just, you know, there are just certain things with with brain, I mean, in life, even without brain injury, injury, but especially with brain injury. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not married, but I mean, I, I relate to that in the sense that a lot, of t- with, to a much lesser extent, with my family, sometimes they'll talk to me in a way, and I have to remind them like, no, no, you're, you're talking to someone else. That guy doesn't exist anymore, you know So I, I get it. Sure. To an extent, I get it.
7: <laughs> um, I've got a, a question for you. Did your wife ever go to, to speak to a social worker? Well, because I did. Husband was well. had a major major stroke. He had aphasia and other issues. and I was a wreck. <clears throat> but I went to a social worker with the Jewish family service, and he guided me. He was wonderful. In the beginning, I would sit there like a lump and not say anything. But he got me speaking and telling him my feelings and it helped. I was not jealous of my husband. I tried to be there for him. My son also. My son moved from, um, from I forgot where he was living at at the time right now. Oh, South Plainfield. He sold his house. And he lived with us for about two years. And then he moved on. But your wife, even now, she should go to a social worker.
6: She finally understood that,
0: and she actually has a therapist. And, and it ever takes a lot better than any of us. Fantastic. I see a question over here. Okay, thank you so much, basically.
3: Um, I don't have a question, but um, I guess I like a comment or a statement. Go ahead. that, ahead. Um, like for me, my brain injury, I don't think that I'm broken, per se. I just do the best for what I got, and through the working with my mother and God and great people, like, crew that I'm with here today, you know, um, I just make it work and do the best I can each day. That's all I have to say. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Guys, uh, I have a question that might have a different answer depending upon how uh, old you are. Um, Has your I'll ask Scott first, since he's one of our youngest. Has your brain injury ever caused you to consider ending a relationship? And please give us details.
4: Okay, this is actually surprisingly easy. <laughs> um, I have, uh, because I was living in California for almost 20 years, so the extent of my relationships on the East Coast, uh, outside of my family, were basically just through Facebook, like people I hadn't seen you know, since I was in high school or before. So when I left, when I left California, I kind of, I didn't even really say goodbye, honestly. I just, I just packed up and went to New York because I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I've made new friends and met new people, like uh, my friend back there, Liz in the back, who, uh, you know, she's been through a lot more than I have and she's been doing this a lot longer than, than I have. And you know, we support each other just because, you know, she kind of tells me how things are as far as someone who's lived with this her, for half her life now. And I try to, you know, I don't know if I help her to, I, at all, I try to offer something. Um, but, you know, and, and it's nice because I'm, you know, I've learned a- as I've made new friends and built a new life to reconnect with people who I knew all those years in California. I don't see them ever, but, you know, we have, we have social media and email. So I didn't, I haven't like, so initially, yeah, I didn't want anyone, I didn't want to contact anyone. I didn't want to remember my life, but as I built a new life, I was able to sort of embrace my old one. So hopefully that makes sense. <laughs>
0: Fantastic.
4: All right.
5: I have a comment, oh? Mike.
4: Um, not necessarily about, <clears throat>
5: pardon me, a, uh, an ending of a relationship, but a beginning. Well, that's Years good ago. It's even better. Good. Excellent. Um, years ago, when I, when I was single, I was talking to an acquaintance of mine at the gym, and I told her I had a, I would tell my, my dating stories and so forth, and she also, I also told her about the brain aneurysm, a brain AVM I had, and she says to me, you don't tell dates that you had that, do you? I'm like, no, but I don't make it a point not to. But the point is, how I interpreted it was there would be a stigma associated with having brain surgery. So I didn't think much of it, I just kind of let it go. And then when I met my wife um, 12 years ago now, wow, uh, (laughs) turned out she's a diabetic. But she also was not telling me originally That she's a person with diabetes. So, the point I'm trying to make here is I think with beginning a relationship, no matter what it is, it could be a professional person, what have you, um, I think one has to be wary that there could be, uh, I guess, a stigma, potential stigma attached to it. There shouldn't be, especially when it comes down to brain injury, but some people who are uh, quite frankly ignorant really don't get it. That you're all just people, I'm just a person, and just different. You know, broken in different ways, I guess. Or actually, I think personally, it makes you stronger. Quite honestly, in, in some in some regards. So, just want to throw that out there. Just be mindful that some people may not be as um, understanding about being a person with a disability or having a history of it. I should say.
3: Fantastic. Uh, can I just uh, go ahead, Rich. I just want to you know, I respect and I I understand be worried about stigma, and. And I'm strongly, I'm very strongly, passionately, too strongly maybe, I'm f- proud of my brain injury and I have no problem articulation of me telling someone else that I, want, I had a TBI in 2004, I was in a coma, I was supposed to die. I, I have such strong feeling about it because about brain injury awareness is my role of my filling a void in my life. And it's nothing wrong with what Tom is referring to about a stigma that might be associated with someone else who's thinking about what I'm telling them. But I don't really give a S about it. I really don't. <laughs> and I was pretty cool that I just said S because normally I, I <laughs> curse very clearly, often.
5: Believe me, it's true. I know. <laughs>
0: I'm sure before the brain injury, it would have come right out.
3: <laughs> it's shit is a good word, but uh, <laughs> I mean really though, uh, I. I believe, I would recommend don't ever feel inhibited by holding, by, by telling someone else. Let them know. And be strong about when you tell them. Because it's good. That's what awareness means. That's it.
4: Yeah, I have to, I have to real quick, real quick. I got to ask because Tom um, brought something that's relevant to me right now. Because, yeah, in, in, the, in the world of dating, it's like, because I've heard people say, oh, don't say that right away. Don't scare them up. It's like, If I'm gonna scare them off, I wanna scare them off within the first 10 seconds, you know? It saves some time, right? Yeah, exactly, so anyway, that's that's my input on this.
2: I had a question, oh, sorry. Um, I just wanted to ask to you who have survived um, traumatic brain injury, do you ever feel guilt for having suffered your injury I ask because frequently you know my husband who is my hero the fact that he gets up every day and does what he does is amazing to me but he will ask me so many times or say to me so many times throughout the day I'm so sorry that I did this to you I'm so sorry is that something that you feel and and what's the right thing to say I'm like oh my god don't be sorry you didn't do this you know it was an accident but how do you, how would you want someone to respond to that
4: I hope that my recorder is working because I do that to my family all the time. Stop and I know,
2: doing it, it's very upsetting.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I, I know, and I know it's not my fault and it's not Richard's fault or anyone's fault here, but like there is that frustration like, you know, being a independent through for 20 years, over 20 years and then all of a sudden having to depend on other people when they have their own lives, you know, to just show up on their doorstep as a 40 year old man and interrupt their lives. I felt bad about it, you know, and, and so I, I, I keep quiet about the apology now but yeah, I, I do appreciate, you know, once in a while just, you oh, it's not your fault, Scott. We understand you're, you're, you know, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I do want to hear that. So, I, but I, tr- having said that, I try to, try to ease up on the guilt thing, but I do feel it, you know, it's not my fault, but I, I still feel the guilt. I can't help it. You know, along those same lines, I think there's some survivor's guilt with me.
5: Uh, my brain surgery, my AVM rupture happened in 1981. I was 10 years old. And, um, you know, I'm still around today, obviously, but I've, I know stories of people I've known, friends and so forth, who have had cancer, who have died very young. 40 comes to mind, uh, 43. They have three kids, you know, and my wife and I don't have any children. So, yeah, I can't help but think sometimes, you know, why them and not me? Not to say I want to die or anything, believe me, but you can't help but wonder. I mean, you know, if I, I'm don't jinx myself, but were to die today, you know, there wouldn't be a kid around to, you know, worry about, if you will. But it really, there is some survivor's guilt there. It really is. And I don't dwell on it too much, but now it's kind of brought up, I thought, why not mention it? But I think the bottom line is that if you're providing some sort of value in your life to somebody, um, you're not wasting your life. It's just a different way of uh, appreciating it.
1: To learn more about our research, go to KesslerFoundation.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts.